Hello, everyone. This is our sixth and final episode for our inaugural podcast season. In this episode alone, there are six amazing interviews in Portland that I recommend you listen to in their entirety. You can access these and every single interview from season one simply by donating just $1 a month at patreon.com slash artifications. Your patronage will enable us to give you more of what you want, including video capabilities, international coverage of art scenes, a higher frequency of episodes, and special artifications projects. I love what we do here, so don't be shy and visit us at patreon.com slash artifications. And now. This is Artifications. I am Roland Ramos. Portland is the city in the United States that everyone has been talking about for the last few years. Of course, it's been spurred on by the Once Upon a Time hit television show. I, I, I just don't recall what it's, what it's... I don't remember the name of it. Anyway... It's almost comically referenceable with the whole is it local movement and the references to Portland's proclivity to be overcast 95% of the time. What makes Portland so lovely and fascinating is its paradoxical nature, like the fact that it's both a tiny city and yet rife with urban sprawl, or that while it's completely urban, the entire city is closely surrounded by pristine natural wonders. This dualistic aspect of Portland is what makes it so lovable. Greater Portland is located on a swath of land just by the caucus of the Columbia and Willamette Rivers where they rendezvous on their way to the Pacific Ocean. Portland, a highly eclectic city, is known for many things, including its ten beautiful bridges straddling the Willamette River, its burgeoning wine movement, its dedication to sustainability, but most of all, its rain. When you get to Portland... You soon realize everyone is just gearing up for the next rainfall. Between October and March alone, expect an average of no less than three inches of rain. Five inches or more average just around the holidays. Rain, it's just always been part of the heritage. First of all, the whole of Portland is surrounded by the Cascade Mountain Range, where, on a clear day, the panoramic view of the surrounding mountains can be almost hypnotic in its tranquility. Yet, don't let that tranquility fool you. There are literally five active volcanoes in that passive-looking mountain range, including Mount St. Helens, Mount Hood, Mount Rainier, Mount Jefferson, and Mount Adam. There is something magical about these surroundings. Almost 60% of Oregon's population resides within the Portland metropolitan area. The first settlers must have followed the indigenous population lead because this area also hosted the highest concentration of pre-Columbian indigenous populations for millennia. Chief among them were two subdivisions of the Chinook tribe. The Multanoa people and the Upper Chinook were settled mainly around the area north of Portland. They thrived throughout the Cascades and flourished peaceably. That is, until the arrival of the Western man wiped most of them out with alien diseases such as yellow fever, influenza, and cholera. Portland was founded in 1843 and incorporated as a city eight short years later. 
things progressed quickly for Portland. Their timeline reads like a fast track, with its own weekly news publication coming out soon after it established itself. What had initially fueled growth were the people who flocked into town heading north to Seattle and Alaska, and its all-consuming gold rush. <laughs> I love this. Portland's name was decided initially on a coin flip. Simply put, plots of land in the Portland area were selling for 25 cents apiece. Two men, Mr. Overton and Mr. Lovejoy, both from the American Northeast, were traveling together and happened upon these amazing plots of land. They both liked some plots, but one of them, William Overton, didn't have the 25 cents needed to file the necessary land claim form, so he borrowed that quarter from Asa Lovejoy. Apparently, out of the deal, the Bostonian made off with 640 acres, and he soon sold it to a Portlander from Maine, uh, one Mr. Francis W. Pettigrove. The new partners found themselves at an impasse regarding the name of this new town. Up until now, the area was called The Clearing, but they both wanted to name it after their respective birth cities. Like any rational men in their positions, they decided the bet with the flip of a coin. In fact, it was best two out of three. And of course, it wasn't Petty Grove's favor, which sealed the reason why we don't celebrate the Boston Trailblazers. Welcome to 20th century. Portland by this time had come a long way from the fledgling town that it used to be. It decided to throw its hat into the ring of national attention by hosting the 1905 World's Fair. It took years of planning. The grounds were laid out and designed by the Olmsted Brothers firm, recently of Central Park fame. Exhibitors from 21 nations and 16 American states descended upon Portland. Participating countries spent lavishly on their exhibitions, some spending over $1 million, which was an extraordinary amount for 1905. The city itself expanded greatly as a result, with over 100,000 people moving to Portland in years following that first World's Fair. I wanted to go to Portland because it's a really good book town. Patty Smith. Today's Portland is truly an amazing place. First of all, most everyone says the same thing. They love Portland and they won't be leaving anytime soon. In the recent past, many have tuned into the goings-on of Portland as a result of the popularity of one particular show, Portlandia. And so much of what you see there is true. Arriving at the airport, it was such a shock to see how much the city stays true to its adopted slogan, Keep Portland Weird. Getting on the local light rail made for some excellent people watching. All kinds of tropes filed by, including the goth male, the gutter punks, dangling dreads, chains, and dog leashes, all the way to the old lady, adorned in shades of pink from head to toe. Word to the wise, if you're taking public transportation anywhere in Portland, bring a book. Public transportation is slow and reliable. I mounted one of Portland's many buses and found out that newly arrived travelers from the airport receive a free day pass from any of the local bus drivers, and you may need it. Why? Because there are so many cool little neighborhoods in Portland to explore. I feel that Portland as a whole encourages its artists. Creativity is clearly in abundance. While there's an ever-present notion of self-expression, there exists a staggering lack of art centers or districts. It seems the artists are just everywhere. And, and we love that. 
I made it a point to explore the Alberta Art Street District, and it was super dope. Chock-a-bock with action all the live long day. With all that being said, I was a little disappointed to not find as many curated shows as I would have hoped. What I did find was a very long, attractive, active street peppered with galleries and artisan shops. Upon further inspection, I found most stores actually supported the arts, but they did it by showcasing rotating exhibitions on specific walls. Down the road I went until I reached what seemed to be the end. There to greet me was the Donna Gallery. This gallery was filled with tons of great sculptural pieces, and each one was more amazing than the last. All the displays were awesome. The back room hid so many gems, I found it a little hard to leave. Donna Gardino and her husband moved to this area about 20 years ago from the Bay Area. As master printmakers, they came to fulfill their dreams and bought a building right here on Alberta Street. But Alberta Street wasn't the same hip place it was 20 years ago. It was a very dangerous street back 20 years ago, and there was a lot of crime and drugs going on on this street, and nobody would come down here because the newscasts were always saying disparaging this street. So, In order to counteract the bad press Alberta Street was garnering, Gardena and a number of local business owners petitioned those same news outlets to come back with the intention of paying attention to the more positive aspects of Alberta Street and specifically to try and pull focus onto the germinating local art scene. Uh, downtown Portland had a first Thursday art walk, and because of the state of this terrible street back then, they decided, well, we might as well make last Thursday the artwork, well, art walk, so we aren't competing with Portland. So uh, it really turned this street around. To talk about gentrification as being a divisive word is actually quite serious. We know and identify with the plight of the struggling artist who adds value to their community simply by doing what they do. We also know the story of being priced out of a neighborhood due to the rising cost of living. What about the benefits of gentrification? Economic expansion benefits the community in a myriad of ways. It provides a base for supporting the arts in a community and in most cases, the transformation renders an area safer. This is my ninth state of residency, and I've been an artist my whole life. And I have to say that Portland is the most cohesive uh, group of artists that I've known since I've left New York City. I don't see backstabbing like I other see in other small ponds. As for for example, Donna supports Portland artists or artists within a, a gas tank away. We support local art in this gallery. We lost about 50%, I believe about 50% of our galleries downtown Portland due to uh, the, the knocking down the old buildings where affordable galleries could, could uh, support art. And then they put it the high rises with unknown investors. So we've lost a lot of our uh, wall space for the local artists. You almost said gentrification. You know, that's a, I think that gentrification is a, it can be a divisive word. I've, I've lived in downtown Oklahoma City, and I think the gentrification of downtown Oklahoma City has really made the city safer. It's cleaned it up. I mean, people aren't afraid to, to live in the neighborhoods, because I, I had to be, I was chased out of the neighborhoods by gangs in Oklahoma City years ago. And then I've heard that they have so-called gentrified, and I think it's great. You don't have to be afraid that your house is gonna get shot up at night. So that's how we feel at on Alberta Street. I mean, Donna, I mean, I appreciate what these uh, business owners have done for this neighborhood. 
I mean, and then this huge sword, though, these neighborhoods, this neighborhood, it's hard to park in front of your own house. So there's the, there's the rub. It's a better, safer place, but you also have to deal with them knocking down two homes and putting up a 30-plex with no parking. And then, so you're fighting with apartment complexes taking your parking. But as far as art's concerned, uh, the way I feel about uh, Portland is, like in Oklahoma, you throw a, a rock and you hit a church. You live in Seattle, you throw a rock and hit a coffee shop. And in Portland, you throw a rock and hit, a, hit, hit an artist. <laughs> I absolutely love that laugh. You can hear it for yourself by visiting the Guardino Gallery on Alberta Street in Portland, Oregon. We're going to take this moment to celebrate our sponsor, the Web Tigers. I love working with Web Tigers. I mean, I thought I knew it all. That is, until I had a conversation with her, and she broke it down into three main parts I won't ever forget. Website design, social media management, and most importantly, content. As a social media Luddite, it's the Tigers approach that helps us and many others communicate effectively with our social media public. I particularly enjoy the ease of communication while discussing such topics as developing your personal brand reach. You can get a great deal just for being a listener of this podcast by visiting webtigers.com slash artifications. Webtigers, your first and last stop for successful web strategies. Kriana Fayelov, and we are inside uh, Torin Collective. I think that Portland in general is just a place that allows people, supports people to be whoever they want to be, and really um, allows for creativity to flow easily because of that. There's no judgment, there's no um, draw within the lines. We get to draw inside, outside, make patterns, whatever we want, and it's celebrated. Located in the heart of the Alberta Arts District, the Torrent Collective is a highly charged spiritual place adorned with fabrics, deities, and lots of visionary art. I came to find out what attracts people to Portland. Um, Alberta Street at this time is, I think, one of the last vestiges of what old Portland felt like before the big population boom that happened about a year and a half, two years ago. Well, I've been, this is my ninth year in Portland, and in the last two years, uh, you know, I think that happens when the artists will come in and make a place really fun and cool, and then the people with money, they want to have that in their life, and they think that it can be bought, and so they come in and they try to buy it up, but because they've come, it changes the energy of everything. And what's happened as a result of that is it has driven a lot of artists uh, outside uh, the city of Portland because they can't afford to live here anymore and the rents have really skyrocketed for a lot of people. It's true. Alberta Street Arts District is 26 blocks of awesome. It's like a suburban take on the West Village with separate houses instead of brownstones. A strong community vibe pervades each of these side streets and everyone knows it, feels it, and appreciates it. I took this opportunity to ask Kriana how her facility supports artists. Yeah, we, um, 
We like to, it's very important to us that we carry only local art and by local we consider that to be the West Coast. And um, we work with artists individually on what percentage of the sale we take. So we're very fluid and flexible about that. We understand that a lot of this art, you know, their hearts and souls are poured into what they've created and there's no way for them to be really truly compensated for the time and energy that they put into the piece. And so those pieces that are especially, um, you know, refined and a lot of energy went into them, we sometimes only take 10 or 20 percent of uh, what the sale is because we really want to support the artist in receiving that reciprocation for what they've created. It was now my second day exploring Alberta Street. The sun was high in the sky when I stopped in at the tin shed for brunch. Best damn breakfast I'd ever had in my life. From there, I headed out to a promising gallery space called the Alberta Street Gallery. This collective storefront had tall windows and a welcoming atmosphere. The walls were once again hung salon style, and most everything was colorful and interesting. I stopped off to speak with Amy Scare, one of the collective's members who happened to be gallery sitting when I visited. So uh, this is Alberta Street Gallery. We have about 12 members, and we're always, like, growing. We're always accepting new members. Um, and that's kind of the one of the big things of how we keep this place going is getting new members. Um, so every first of the month, every first Monday of the month, we jury in new artists to be a part of us. And then um, as far as, like, our roles, we have, like, a president, vice president, treasurer, um, secretary and those people all have kind of like the main goals as far as like finances a marketing people a person in marketing just so that we can like keep ourselves like present in Portland um, and then like and then we all collectively like work here so that is also like bringing in people and like selling our work every day I'm from Spokane, Washington, but I moved here in 2010 for school. Um, I went to the Pacific Northwest College of Art. Like, if you have the right, like, network and group of people together, it, like, it doesn't take just, like, one person to be an artist. You have to, like, be a part of a collective, and which is what we're trying to do right here, but it does take time. It's, like, there's so much behind the scenes that you have to do to make yourself present. Um, and I think some areas can be, like, competitive in that, like, I think, the, like, getting into, like, a professional gallery can be very competitive because they're kind of, like, you kind of have to, like, go in and act like you don't want to be in there. Like, you just, like, I'm just an artist, and I'm just, like, I only, I just do my art, you know? And you kind of have to be, like, oh, you know? And then, and then like, once you, like, create, create that connection with them and you're just, you go to openings, you do all of that, then they, like want to know who you are and talk to you and then they're like well I mean do you want to do you want to be in here (laughs) you know it has to be like that type of a thing whereas like this co-op is a lot easier to get into because it's more it's a little it's less professional it's more community based and like we're very like open-ended in here like we mean as you can see like we have 12 different artists and we're all very we all have very different styles then I guess you're in the right place Portland 
is such a confluence of scenes. There's no doubt that artists have to band together in order to be recognized and seen. Mind you, this is not Williamsburg, where 30 different events take place on a single Tuesday night. Portland is significantly larger. And in such a large city, how does this neighborhood differentiate itself? The huge thing about Alberta is that in the summertime, there's um, last Thursday, and they close the entire street down. Anybody can set up a booth and sell their art, or they can perform in the street or sell food, art, whatever. And that's kind of like, that's probably where you heard the, like, that Alberta's like the super art area because of the summertime. Like, that's like, and it's every last Thursday of the month. So that's kind of like, it's like this community, like, put together festival. Last summer, they started, like, making new rules for last Thursday. The city's destroying it a little bit. Like, and they're, like, it was crazy. They, like, the first month we did, in May, the first month we did uh, last Thursday last year, people who didn't have a permit, there were, like, police walking around and shutting down, like, people's tables. And the whole, like, community vibe was just, like, destroyed. And it's been really hard to get that back. This is... No doubt an integral time in the unfurling of this up-and-coming arts district. In the balance lies two possible futures. One of a burgeoning art scene with tons of artistic opportunity. The other, a largely homogenous scene meant to caricature its former artistic glory. The galleries left to ride the coattails of what almost was the Alberta Arts District will stand, but mostly as stately totems to a time gone by. Well... Like all things in Portland, location isn't everything. I asked about the more traditional art locations in Portland. Yeah, that's like, that area is more like, those are where all like the kind of professional galleries are. Mm -hmm. The ones that are a little bit harder. Those are like, go to like Froelich and like Blackbird and kind of more um, Gleason and Flanders Street. They're all like kind of in the same little pocket. I knew exactly where Amy was talking about. When I was first looking into the Portland art scene, I made some calls into a couple of art galleries and collectives in that area called Old Town. The area called Old Town is another name for Chinatown section of Portland. It's right next to the Willamette River and is easily traversed by a myriad of public transportation options. It looks pretty well maintained. The abundance of large buildings, traffic, pedestrians, and posters gave credence to the idea that this was a good spot for a gallery. My name is Sabrina Elliott, and I am just one of six members at Pony Club Gallery, and it's a collective, so we're all equal roles, and we all watch the gallery, curate shows, have our artwork in the gallery, and just generally try and promote a well-being of art in the same so the pony club is about 10 years old and is one of a string of collective art galleries fighting to stay afloat and relevant in the same small neighborhood um well so much has changed and something that's been a huge staple is the iprc that's the independent publishing resource center in portland uh, having to move locations probably for like the third or fourth time because of rent and their landlords are kicking them out. And that's really sad and that's just another obvious form of gentrification and all the artists are really, you know, I don't want to say poor, but 
Portland is definitely kicking out a lot of what makes it Portland. So a lot of the creative scene, it's still here, but people are struggling so much. And Pony Club is really trying to uh, welcome as many people as possible. So, well, this is Chinatown, um, but this area is kind of weird in that it's, it's really busy for tourists, but for people who are actively looking for art, it's a very weird area because Chinatown has now kind of fallen into intense disrepair. Um, we have a huge homeless population, especially over in the Chinatown area. Um, I know a lot of my members here really wish they could move Pony Club to a more profitable, like better artistic area, but this area per se is just, there's not a lot of other galleries. We have this block, which is on Everett, um, but besides that, in this area, there isn't really anything else except maybe Upper Playground, which has a gallery, which is two blocks away. So this is specifically Chinatown, downtown, and up is the Pearl District, and that is a much more like kind of fancy, hoity-toity, very expensive area. So that's it's a pretty big difference from a few block like Radius, which is pretty intense. The walls were covered in some seriously engaging, colorful, vibrant art. What blew my mind was the pricing. It seemed to be way too low for the quality of art that it was. I took the opportunity to speak with Sabrina about what I had perceived simply a pricing discrepancy. Um, well, Pony Club, you were saying about the prices. We try to keep things really inexpensive. I mean, it is up to the artist for what they want to sell, but we take a very small cut. But for the most part, we're not really a business. We're a gallery, a community, nonprofit. We're trying to become more of a business so we can make more money but definitely for New York there's just the culture over there is so intense and like so thriving and everything is so expensive that I think it's just kind of almost natural that no matter what everything is just the prices are all raised up I mean I like where we are now but for neighborhoods because they have something called we also have something called last Thursday and all of Alberta opens up and everyone walks and that's a huge 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 deal so that is another area that's like really uh, super thriving creative that people like I think actively go to seek out. As I said before, the Pony Club is just one of a string of galleries in Old Town Portland. It's hard to imagine galleries catching their breath long enough to create long-term plans for success in such a heightened economic climate. Their 10-year existence has certainly bucked that trend, although the Pony Club appears to be in the minority. The one thing that I did not anticipate was the proximity of Old Town Portland to other neighboring districts. A quick check on my phone revealed that some of the Pearl Arts District was indeed only two blocks away. I thanked Sabrina and hustled the two blocks to find some of the most legit white cube galleries bordering a small square. The Pearl District neighborhood has been in flux over the past 20 years as it has been worked and reworked to fulfill its goal of becoming the downtown arts hub of Portland. One of the galleries I had in mind to visit was the Blue Sky Gallery. And here it was conveniently located right in the heart of the Pearl District. I went inside and met with... My name is Amanda. I'm the membership and gallery manager at Blue Sky Gallery. Founded in 1975, the Blue Sky Gallery has remained in the same neighborhood since its founding by five young photographers. It is currently the oldest nonprofit gallery in all of Portland and stands as one of the oldest photography spaces as well. 
I took this time to ask Amanda how a two-block walk between neighborhoods can spell such different outcomes for artists and patrons. I think you're talking about Old Town, which is just where we're right, Blue Sky, the DeSoto building, we're right on like the dividing line. Broadway would be the dividing line between the, what's considered the Pearl and what's considered Old Town, Chinatown. Um, and in the Pearl, the developed neighborhood, the more developed neighborhood, the rents are higher, which is why you have more of the commercial galleries, all the white boxes. Um, Blue Sky being a nonprofit, we fit awkwardly into this space. <laughs> so we look really cute and fancy, but we have been a crunchy nonprofit for the last, you know, 43 years. So, um, but in Old Town, so just a couple of blocks away, you have smaller spaces, studios, and like live work spaces, um, like the Everett Station lofts. There are more artist-run spaces. They have more limited hours, um, but they almost always do a first Thursday opening. So that's one thing that unifies the whole uh, Northwest neighborhood, including like, the Pearl and also Old Town. I thought it was the perfect time to ask Amanda if she could describe for me, in her opinion, what was uniquely Portland about the city's arts and art scene. Probably the most Portland thing would be the sense of humor about the shows or you know some of I would say a lot of the sensibility here is kind of like can be a little tongue-in-cheek can be very self-aware of how Portland like fits into the other gallery scenes in the world because it's kind of a new the the white the white box gallery scene here is kind of I would say still new I newish so trying to figure out where we fit into that is it's a good question I think it's evolving a lot yeah I don't know ask that question again in like two years <laughs> while I may have found one of the best laughs in all of Portland the subject of gentrification elicited a more somber tone uh, the rents have been going up at tremendous rates in the last few years and it's driven it's really clearly impacted the art scene um, you know it's a, it's a very hot topic in town right now, too. It's, it's um, also one that's constantly evolving. Like, the city council just passed an ordinance that landlords would have to pay the moving costs for their tenants for no-cause evictions. So anyway, sorry, that's tangential, because there's, there's things that are being done about it, and there's, it's being addressed, but they're being, you know, like, gentrification is pushing everybody of lower means out to the borders and the borders and the borders. If, I, if all the artists abandon ship, where would we be? We'd be San Francisco. Wah, wah. <laughs> Just around the corner, we find the Augen Gallery, a lovely traditional white cube. I stopped in to speak with the owner, Bob Cox. My name is Bob Cox, and I own Augen Gallery in Portland, Oregon. The gallery was started in April of 1979 and occupied a variety of different locations before it finally settled into the Pearl District in 2007. I was interested in Mr. Cox's story and how he happened to land here in Portland. No, I grew up in Philadelphia. Why Portland? Uh, I had gotten a degree in architecture and I moved west in the early 70s and began to work for some architects in Los Angeles. Then I got an opportunity to come up to the University of Oregon and do some adjunct teaching in the architecture department and do master's work. And I decided in the mid-70s to changed my profession. I went back to New York, uh, talked with a couple of people who were producing prints and distributing prints and became a print distributor for them on the West Coast for three or four years before I decided to settle in Portland permanently and, and open a gallery. 
Well, the Pearl District, I think, had was more interesting a decade ago than it is now in that you still had the opportunity for artists to be here at the same time the galleries were here. Uh, in the last 10 years, we've seen the Pearl District become economically unfeasible for any artist to exist in anymore. Uh, and therefore, you've seen a diaspora of the, the people who are actually making work into other areas of the cities. Uh, the big problem as they disperse into other areas of the cities are you don't have the big warehouse spaces that allow for the galleries exist. And so the galleries and the artists have begun to separate themselves in terms of physical space just out of economic circumstances that have arisen. Uh, the rents have gone up so dramatically in the Pearl and so many of the buildings that used to exist here that accommodated artists have been torn down that the artists really don't share this district with the galleries anymore developmental and investment interests have gotten a hold of all the property in here. And so the price has gone from what used to be 10 cents a square foot per month to three and a half dollars a square foot per month. It's got a tremendous amount of artists per capita for the size of the city. Pittsburgh is a similar size city as Portland and it doesn't have nearly the activity. Uh, and it doesn't have nearly the number of artists in it. Uh, it's a little bit hard to explain why this has become a gravitational point for a lot of that. Um, some of it has to do with the fact that, you know, people who were looking to move west looked at Seattle, San Francisco, and L.A. and found that Portland was still the most economical alternative for them to be able to move to. Uh, it's still the most affordable city on the West Coast, but not by as substantial a margin as it used to be. Bob Cox went on to open his space. Soon, Portland had an art scene that included a number of competitive galleries. Take a listen to how Bob's rising tide approach to creating an art scene resulted in the creation of Portland's recurring monthly first Thursday event. We began and, and set up a group of galleries uh, called the First Thursday Gallery Group at that point in time, which is now pretty much referred to as the Portland Art Dealers Association. And we began to put out a collective exhibition flyer every month going out to a mailing list that encompassed all seven or eight galleries. And we made a commitment to put this out for a three-year period of time and all open shows on exactly the same day of the month. We realized that our customer base at that point in time were mostly 30- and 40-year-old people who had busy work schedules, were having children, and couldn't really go to one gallery on a Saturday night, another gallery on a Wednesday night, and another gallery a week later on a Friday night. They just didn't have that kind of time. So when we first started, it became the evening when people would go out. When you get a group that's at large, it begins to take on a different life cycle than just a little spot of activity here and a spot of activity there. Portland is where young people go to retire. Fred Armisen. After spending a couple weekends in Portland, the only conclusion I have come to regarding the art scene is that I want to spend more time there. It feels like a city coming into its own, its own time, its own space, 
a curiously coalescing movement of art, so to speak. Portland is equal parts local war heaven and passive art installation, which embodies the culinary phrase of slow and low. That is, the best way to barbecue anything is to cook it slow and low. Each neighborhood of Portland is at a pivotal stage of their development. It all rests on artists banding together and using their collective strength at the municipal bargaining table. More and more communities are learning how to utilize their strategic tool chest. They're also learning how to fight fire with fire in order to fulfill their collective community vision. Whether it's like Denver and the Rhino Art District, how they're actively participating in molding their neighborhood, or Alexandria, Virginia, whose torpedo factory instigated a vibrant resurgence of the area's waterfront. On my way to the Augen Gallery, I was asked to come back a couple times because they were having a meeting with a curator or somebody from the local art museum regarding a piece of art. I got it in my mind that perhaps these Pearl District art galleries are peddling something that the other neighborhood spaces just can't offer. Access. If there's one thing that artification supports, it's self-empowerment. To that end, I encourage all artists to take their future in their own hands by reaching out to those they esteem. For example, if there's a place you feel your art would be a great fit, contact them. Perhaps there's a curator you would like to work with. Contact them. In every case, always be prepared by having all your ducks in a row, or else your phone call will be more of a wake-up call. If you would like me to take a look at your portfolio for a quick assessment, you can email me directly at connect at artifications.us. I just want to remind everyone that this is a wonderful time to be alive. The world is at our fingertips. So I encourage everyone to shoot for the moon. Even if you miss, you land among the stars. Or if you're lucky enough, you land in Portland. Upcoming events. Artifications is hosting an art crawl in Healdsburg, California, the weekend of June 23rd through the 25th. We will be matching up galleries and musicians for a weekend of culture, music, and artistic exploration. July 1st through the 4th, you can find me on the East Coast hosting the Permajam Festival just outside of New York City. Find out more about sustainability and what you can do to be part of this festival at permajam.com. July 8th, join me, Govinda, Tribone, Cloud Court, and Alex and Allison Gray at the Chapel of Sacred Mirrors in Wappinger Falls, New York for a very special full moon gathering. More details at cosm.com. Also, join me at Gratitude Migration the weekend of July 14th at Hello Beach in Kingsburg, New Jersey. It's a beautiful place overlooking the island of Manhattan with special live performances, DJs, and dancing all through the night. Voted one of the top 10 festivals in the United States. Find out more about Gratitude Migration at migratewith.us. And thanks to every single one of the listeners out there. Send up a flag and we'll be sure to address your questions when you email us directly at connect at artifications.us.